Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On today's episode, I had a sparkling conversation with fellow astrologer Marin Altman about creativity. And really, we were talking here about creativity at a deeper level beyond a specific project or the categories that creativity fits into, like art making, but creativity in terms of what it is cosmologically. We spoke of the process of actualizing one's life and following one's excitement as a kind of creativity and how we are these fractals of the cosmos and that we participate in the expansion of the cosmos through our creative offspring of all kinds. So we're participating in the creation of the universe through our creativity. And that makes us, you know, there's a fractal in that. I really enjoyed speaking with her and Marin is definitely living by example when we talk about creativity. I just love the way that she hones in on her ideas with such cutting precision. She's really thoughtful with language and she's also really funny. I love her TikTok astrology sketches and I'm going to leave the link in the show notes because they're really good. They're hilarious and I'm inspired by the way that she embodies her ideas um, in how expressive she is and that she comes to astrology with like an acting background And to just see her acting out these different characters and embodying the signs in this highly skillful way, you know, in the same way that she has uh, such precision with language, I see that in her embodiment of archetypes as well. And it's super compelling to watch. I'm coming to you currently in good spirits. Our episode is about creativity, and I've been feeling very creative and generative lately. And one of my biggest themes that keeps coming through in my downloads this Taurus season is about being with life in a very intimate way, like right up in it, like kneading dough or gardening. There's this, you know, what can create the least amount of separation between what one is cultivating and oneself that just being right in it. (laughs) That's the only way I can describe it. Taurus is very resourceful as well. So one of its magics is finding something to work with or connect to in any situation, resourcefulness. I was just thinking about this this morning and how in my early 20s, when I identified primarily as a poet and a writer and because that was my main identity, I literally carried a notebook around everywhere and I was always reading and writing all day. And I carried this notebook around and honed my perception. I was always scanning my environment and my conversations and whatnot. I was always scanning for beautiful images and crafting the words to then pin these beautiful images down and keep them through writing. And the more that I did this, the more that my environment actually bloomed with beautiful things to behold. Taurus can be such a connoisseur or an esthete. And I invite you to consider this in the spirit of following your highest excitement, which is something that we discuss in this episode today. Taurus is not the archetype of the Zodiac known for being a thrill chaser. Taurus seeks more the fullness of sensual delight. But is that not part of excitement? 
Taurus is about our connection to pleasure and our self-esteem and our receptivity toward having things or experiences that we value. So when we are cultivating a creative life or following our excitement, Taurus is what helps us really feel into the juiciness of it and savor it and open to it because we believe that we are worthy of it. On another note, one thing I'm excited about is that I've expanded to YouTube. I've been writing weekly astrology forecasts and coming up on the start of my sixth year of this weekly forecasting practice um, this June. And I've just begun to share the forecasts on YouTube and to get on camera and share the transmissions with you that way on video. And so I'm really excited about this expansion. And if you want to catch the weekly forecast that way, you can go find me on YouTube. My channel name is Sabrina Monarch, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. I do offer astrology readings and teach an evolutionary astrology intensive, and you can learn more about that on my website at monarchastrology.com. And before we get into today's episode, here's a little bit more about today's guest. Marin Altman is an astrologer living in New York City as she finishes her undergraduate degree at New York University. Her practice centers around combining ancient traditional Hellenistic techniques with modern psychological counseling dynamics in order to provide practical guidance to her clients. She is interested in the long-term research of astrology as learning about the structure of reality, and she plans to combine her astrology with her path of philosophy graduate school in order to become a cosmological thought leader. Marin is also a published fiction author, with her first novel, A Prisoner of Memory, now available on Amazon, and her second, Bad Flower, on the way. She is the founder of Rosie Collective, a website connecting spiritual practitioners with their ideal clients in order to make the online metaphysical world easier to maneuver. Marin posts philosophical discourse and astrological content on her YouTube channel and on her podcast, Modern Magic which centers around astrology, metaphysics, and grounding the woo of the spiritual path. She offers astrology readings at her website and has her eight-week Astrology Academy course launching May 24th, with details for both on her social media and at her website, marinaltman.com. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Welcome, Marin. I'm super excited to have you here to talk about creativity and manifestation. And you have this super incandescent creativity that radiates from you. You're very multi-talented and also bold, which I really appreciate about you. And before getting to this podcast, I was looking through your channel and saw that you have this video about um, high level limiting beliefs, and you were talking about high performance. And I was really struck by you just naming and claiming like high performance as something that you connect with. Um, I can relate to that, but also like that is a little bit of an edge for me to even just say, right? So um, I wanted to philosophize with you on this episode about creativity and manifestation. So um, to start out with, I understand that you've been into astrology since you were a kid um, and that you've also had a spiritual awakening like myself. And so I would just love to hear about what brought you onto this path to lead you to where you are today as a way to get to know you better. Totally. So I started studying or reading about astrology when 
I started reading really young and it was around when I was two that my parents noticed that I was spending a lot of time looking at words and they didn't really know if I was understanding them or not, but they used to give me newspapers thinking that I would like the cartoons and the comics and that would be an easy way. And I actually never really was into picture books. I always wanted to go straight to the text. And so nearby the cartoons were the horoscopes. And obviously when you're just reading as it, as a young child, there's no cognition of interpretation. It's mostly just learning the, the, the ins and outs of what a language is. But being familiar with what those words looked like and having a familiarization with the layout of that kind of continued on until I remember being six and having access to a laptop and pulling up my natal chart which I had no idea what it meant. I just knew that I was looking at horoscopes and I didn't necessarily believe in them or not believe in them, but they were always what I was looking at in the newspaper. And I got the in, uh, an incorrect birth time. My mom gave me my sister's birth time. So from six to 14, I was learning in nonstop online about astrology, but the whole time I believed I was a Libra rising and a Virgo moon. Um, I, I started as I, as I got into like adolescence, the social butterfly Libra rising thing really didn't cut it. And so that kind of made me dig deeper into astrology in hopes of understanding it until finally I spoke to my dad and he's like, yeah, you were not born in the morning. Like you were born at 5, 17 PM. And that's when um, I pulled up the correct chart. And as soon as I saw Capricorn rising and Libra moon, instead of Libra rising and Virgo moon, there was a feeling of coming home or a validation of my existence because what I found so incredible about astrology, kind of like the Sims. And I have a theory that kids who really like the Sims or Sims like games, often those are these like astrologers often were those kids because it's this never ending journey of excitement and creating that you never get to a goal. Like the transits are never stopping. They're always, I love the Sims by the way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a sucker for Sims too. I, I just, yeah, I have it on my computer, even though I don't play it anymore because I have no attention span for basically anything, but I, loved never ending research around it. And I just couldn't stop reading things about my natal chart. It gave me a way of feeling like I existed when some of the things I went through early on made me question if I was a human being or not, because I just felt both very discarded in one side of my family where the parent was an alcoholic and very abusive and absent emotionally. And then on the other side of my family was um, a parent who in, in an effort to, they were divorced. And so in an effort to balance that out, basically put me on a pedestal that was um, like humorously aggrandized. And so I didn't understand who I was uh, because I know one house I was like physically abused and the other house I was quite literally like tr- treated like royalty in a, very, in a very strange way. And so I didn't have a, a secure basis of myself, but in reading about natal astrology, it gave me such insight. And so like a lot of people, I came in through the modern psychological route. And as I got into high school, I started giving, I I actually in middle school, I started giving like quick delineations for friends. I would get them to pull up their birth chart. And by the time I got to high school, I would be at high school parties. I was usually the designated driver because I never really drank uh, because my mother and the side of the family that was um, the, the more intense 
situation was an alcoholic. And so I was always, um, felt kind of like on the outside looking into those things, but that meant that not only was I driving everyone, I got to get, I got to get paid for readings. Uh, drunk high school students love to at this, they would just shell out money for me to tell them things. And I started to realize that when things were getting really deep, that I really liked it, but I didn't have any awareness of it as a career path. I had no idea that you could be a professional astrologer. Like that didn't even click to me. And I draw on that a lot today as compassion for people who cannot see outside their conditioning point of view, because it was all too easy for me at the time to be like, I'm an actor surrounded by all of you people who are going to inherit your father's oil business. Look at me. I'm so liberated. I'm such a free thinker. Like I, um, I, I felt I had a sense of superiority because I felt like I was following a path where everyone else was, wasn't when, I remember realizing that um, when I could become a professional astrologer, it really humbled me because I, I, I didn't have the capacity to actually follow my dreams until then. Because throughout my path of basically growing up doing acting, I eventually got into NYU Tisch for like their Tisch School of the Arts. And that was the goal. That was like, that's, that's what you want to do. And then as soon as I got there, I had a huge realization that the hole I was trying to fill wasn't one of creative passion for the craft. It was one of wanting applause. And that was why I had such resistance for when people did, did give me recognition because it felt like it was never enough because I was trying to chase, chase validation instead of align with my path at that point. And honestly, I, I wasn't very resistant to changing the path because for whatever reason, I, I've just always been kind of malleable. And so even though I had grown up my whole life doing acting, I couldn't pretend that I wasn't realizing that the highlight of my day was my required uh, philosophy class, which I ended up taking as a requirement to fill like a, um, a, a required course on a certain cross like arts and sciences course. And it reminded me that I loved studying things like ethics and world religions in high school, which I also didn't let myself admit because I was supposed to be this like creative person. And so I got to being in college, realizing that I wanted to do 180 and study something that I, I had never, ever considered myself. I mean, I was always going to be the, it went from being a pop star to Jack Bauer. Cause I was going to be a field agent. I was going to be like, NSA, like to like just badass, like SWAT team to an actor. And I had never considered being interested in the study of philosophy. And that's when it all coalesced in terms of my lifelong study of astrology connects so well to what I'm academically interested in. And they're not mutually exclusive and they're actually combined the path that I feel most aligned going under because what I was realizing was that I did have a lot of creativity in me, but my creativity was not so much physical as it moved faster and it was mental. It was less dense and sensory and much more, um, there, there was like, instead of a, um, I, I sometimes think in strange metaphors, but I think of people who are really creative in art. They often have a creativity that's kind of like a wave going on a shore and it's really beautiful in their works of art. They come and they go. And I think more of mine is kind of like 
the, the, the brilliant twinkles on top of water where it's like twinkling, where they're, it's not even like the creativity of the density itself. It's what it translates as. And once I gave myself permission to have fun in the weird nerdy ways that I didn't know were fun to me, that was in, in that was basically my dark night of the soul where I encountered all the shadows of, um, realizing how I had this endless search for validation, which is still something that I engage with love with. And that might be um, the karmic patterning I'm playing out with. I, I can see the nodal axis indicating that in my chart. And that's how I ended up uh, where I am in seeing how everything can be creative because all creativity really is, is you having a new approach to a craft in a way that the world thinks is cool. Cause there's plenty of people that have a new approach that no one thinks their, their approach is cool. And like literally clinically creativity is like divergent thinking that is accepted by society. And so luckily some of my divergent thinking is accepted by the astrological parts of society. And that's pretty cool. Wow. That was really enchanting to hear you describe your life and how you perceive reality and uh, there's a few thoughts that I have. One is that um, having a career as an astrologer requires a, like the merging of several skill sets because you have to be an entrepreneur as an astrologer. There's not very many scenarios where you will be hired by an external force to be an astrologer. So you have to learn business. You have to learn um, content creation strategy. You have to learn people skills for counseling dynamics. Um, and I think that when astrologers or people who are into astrology, um, they often stumble upon the path. They have this deep calling and they know they can't do anything else or like don't want to do anything else. I mean, and they often have skill sets from their past. Like for me, it's writing and with acting, I think it's really cool. Like your TikTok videos are amazing. (laughs) Like they're so entertaining and they're very clever. And I still don't understand TikTok exactly. I wish I, I still did. don't either. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like you do. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, your acting skills like really clearly come through. And I think that it's really interesting that you brought in the point about validation and applause because creativity, which I associate with like Leo and the sun, like there's the grandeur of like human creativity and there's also the psychological drives that come with it. So I don't think it's uncommon for people who are super creative or expressive to desire validation. And I think developing a relationship with that um, for me, I feel like it's like wrestling, like a kind of beast or something. Cause I have Chiron and Leo. So I think of like, um, Hercules wearing like the hood of the lion or something. I hope uh-huh. you're right? But yeah. there's this, uh, a lot of depth and complexity to the creative process. So I'm curious, um, for you with, um, your studies of astrology and philosophy, what you think about what creativity means for the human being, like why we're here and have this capacity to develop ourselves. And if there's anything uh, that you think that implies about the meaning of what we're doing here in this human endeavor. Yeah. I think a lot, I've been told that my way of communicating sounds very technological and like a computer and I'm, I, and my, my most recent podcast, I was just pointed out to me that I use a lot of like technical jargon. And so I'm, I'm about to speak in that kind of, but because by definition, the universe is always expanding. 
it's always creating. So it would make sense that as humans, if we're part of that, um, I don't really want to use the word natural because that kind of gives in a connotation of earthiness. I mean, more if, if we're part of reality, then we're also expanding. And that doesn't necessarily mean physically once we get to a certain point, but instead our spawn of various forms is expanding. And I think that's why when people are not learning, growing and evolving, they're dying simply by not being in the state of what is life producing, which doesn't mean that we have to be um, high tailing it in terms of any sort of production, but naturally on the point of, on the path of accumulation of information in life, if we feel like we're stagnating, then that goes against um, a cosmic law that I'm not going to claim I understand, but I know that the universe is expanding and our creativity is part of that. And I don't use the word meaning ever when it comes to human life or astrology because my Virgo mind loves categorical errors. And when I think of meaning, I think of like a dove means peace in a book where there's representation. And since we don't have a point of view to know if we're representing something or signifying something, I don't use the word meaning to describe anything in life because we don't have the omniscience to understand a plot line where something can be representative. But I think that the fact that we are inherently productive beings of different textures and tempos indicates that part of the human makeup, which is more of an energetic light being rather than just a biological being involves giving constant birth, which I think about a lot as someone who has never resonated with the idea of having children, but has a lot of indicators in my natal chart with the Leo and um, some other, not that Leo, um, if you know me, you know, I don't, I don't like, not that Leo equals fifth house, but I have some fifth house things that I can deal with children. And I see that just like, you can either have physical children or you can have light beings of artwork in various ways. And I feel that when we tap into what our personal fractal of consciousness wants to keep multiplying as, it feels more life enhancing to align with a path that allows that to happen, like with astrology, letting me do writing and kind of acting with the YouTube part and TikTok with the absurd part. And it's a coalescence of a lot of little different creativities that make sense in one. Can you speak more to what it is to be a personal fractal of the cosmos? I see it as if we're all part of the great oneness and we're all oneness experiencing itself and to experience means there has to be at least duality, if not multiplicities. So in the unified oneness that is isness and everything, our personal fractal is simply the consciousness in which we are able to experience that oneness from our, um, our specific distortion of that so that we're all walking this path, but our angle on that trail is always a bit different. And the feeling of being on that trail is always a bit different. 
and we're interconnected in the fact that we're all having an experience that is in this reality. But the way that we are a fractal is kind of a, um, a shard of glass off of one big pain that we all come from that same substance. And yet we're broken off in a really unique way that reflects things in a certain way. Hmm. That's having me think about um, the sun again and creativity within the individual and the way that Oh, here's where, where my thought was coming from. So you show someone their natal chart who maybe isn't into astrology yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and you say, this is the map of the cosmos at the moment of your birth. And that kind of confers to that person a sense that their existence is cosmic, that there's a, um, or like terroir with wine or something, that there's the quality of the soil, there's the quality of the cosmos at the moment that you were born. And I think that that sparks something or a feeling of specialness in people. And when I think about astrology as a personal development practice, there's something about connecting ourselves to the cosmos that can act as a permissioning to self-actualize. Um, and yet, there's, I think even with the sun, some plants grow in the sunlight and other things like wither and do not like the sun. So whenever we shine, we create this polar um, frequency in our reality around us of having fans and haters, right? And so working with that, I think that there's the internalized version of that of people being afraid to take up space. So I'm just curious um, what your thoughts are on permissioning to be oneself and permissioning to take up space in this reality. I love the way you phrase that because quite specifically the idea of taking up space was something that was at the hallmark of my dark night of the soul, spiritual awakening, um, you know, Pluto on the ascendant cherry on top experience of when I was coming into this was seeing that it is a disservice to the rest of reality if I don't take up space. And not only is it culturally suggested not to as being someone who's identifies as a woman, but also in terms of feeling a lack of normalcy about myself and knowing that I was different in the way that I had a sense of awareness growing up. And I didn't know that I was like meditating during classes that I didn't like to be in. Like I was not dude, I was literally meditating. And I remember, you know, reaching states of consciousness in the corner of my math class when I wouldn't be interested in little things like that, that made me more aware of just the different perspective I was having on things that once I was realizing that, there was a value in my creativity and then I could fill the world with that without infringing on others. I began to feel compassionately obligated in a way that there's a Marianne Williamson quote, and it's something along the lines of who are you not to be powerful? And if you're scared, like who are you not to be? It was told to me during my yoga teacher training. And I was like, I like this. And it wasn't so much about making myself take up space in ways that I had seen others do, but following my excitement because that just like pure fertility of excitement is 
what's going to fill space in a way where your shine says nothing about anyone else's because you're all existing in your own bubble and like staying in your own lane that's abundant and doesn't have a time space ending. But going back to it being part of in, I would say in the essential nature of being a human, I don't know if Aristotle would have agreed with me, but I would have said that part of that is a creativity that is energetic and multi multiplies endlessly. And in that feeling of alignment, there is a lack of scarcity mindset. And it's that scarcity mindset that says, I can't take up space because I'll infringe on someone else's. And then that resorts back to um, the ego feeling defensive. So I think that taking up space, a necessary requirement to be okay with taking up space is to know what even your space would be taken up as. And a lot of the time we have to get down to the bare bones of who we are to see what that like flickering light is without the cover up distortions of what's been placed on us. But that once you get to that, it's much easier to um, have that purity of like the dark night of the soul and what's actually left then become more realized of what your dharma is in the world. That is so beautifully put. <laughs> like flickering light within below the distortions this is part of like um I think of like the fixed signs a lot with this because you have like creativity leo uh excitement aquarius abundance versus scarcity taurus um and then shadow work scorpio so they all like work really well together and I think that um, this may be a good segue into like talking about law of attraction and manifestation, because I think that what people really struggle with, um, that I've seen with that is that they feel like they have to be happy all the time mm -hmm. in order to be excited or to manifest things. And so they think that it's spiritual bypass, but I think there's a way to be excited that actually works with the deep content of the psyche. Um, and to like, it's necessary to do shadow work to know who you really are. Uh, so how do you know what your excitement is if you don't do that? So um, I guess maybe to start out with, with the law of attraction, like how you connect with it. Um, and then if you've come to like form your own opinions or amendments on it since you've been practicing it. I see it as a pretty straightforward theory around reality that I very much stand by, which is that the world is always showing me exactly what my locus of vibration is. And all I mean by vibration is the combination of your thoughts, actions, and feelings. So that the output of what, what you're creating, even if some of that is more reflexive, is all combining into a certain energetic imprint. And I actually mean for these to be like kind of defined energetic imprints, like not not just good vibes, like actually some sort of hypothetically, if we were fifth density beings, we'd be able to like measure on a spectrum what our vibration is or whatever. And I see that what aligns with that is what will be led into your reality. And that because vibration is moving, changing that will take a bit of effort to combat the inertia of what you have so that 
it can be sometimes a challenge for people to adopt the law of attraction because all they know is quite literally what is because they have never moved that, um, that vibration either speed wise or direction wise. So I see the law simply as a law of understanding who you are as both your specific fractalness and the movement of what you're vibrating as based on what's around you. And um, I think that some people can get triggered by that based upon what's happened to them because they may not understand how interconnected others' vibrations are with us and that it's not as simple as, you know, I'm thinking this and this happens because there's so much inertia of past patterning and collective buy-ins. Like we agreed to be in this reality. I dare someone to try and believe that the sun will never set. Like hypothetically, you could probably manifest a reality to do that. I don't think the collective thought structure is going to allow you to actually believe that. So I think that it's creating reality, but co-creating. I really like that because you're co-creating with both like you're, you're sailing the ship of your vibration and there's waves around you that you are navigating in line with that. And the amendments that I've made are basically that if I can be aware of my vibration at all times, that's not to say that my vibration isn't vibrating and that I can hold this perfect, um, this, this perfect endless joy, joy all the time, but rather that I can get to know the way in which I steer that ship better and better to become a more aware crafter of my reality. And I, even at the times of my life when I was learning specifically about law of attraction, which I now see something I was kind of always aware of in that back of my mind, just, I, I saw that when I bought into things such as endless complaining or gossip as like a teenager that it didn't feel as if I was able to access the world around me that I wanted to, as much as I wanted to be like in on the drama, I kind of realized like there's something, there's something here that doesn't, doesn't mesh well. So now I see it as well, well, when I was going through my spiritual awakening, even at the time I was so, so despite having 13 roommates in my, you know, first year NYU dorm, I was so alone and I was so closeted off from being able to resonate with any external teachings for a good, like two to three years. I couldn't see any content because I just, it would like nauseate me to know that others were creating. I think I had to tap into my own creativity so much, but that was the most beautiful time that I've ever seen in my life so far was the purity of only having my vibration and understanding that in a physical universe, our vibration is going to bump up against different things can allow us not to fixate on um, holding ourselves to a standard of wanting to get to a high vibration instead of saying, can I just reconnect with my vibration? I think of it like breath. Every time I'm just reconnecting to my breath, not only in my yoga practice, but in my life, that's always my, where's my breath? Where's my vitality? Where's my vibration? And I think the law itself is kind of doctrine and it stands, but we are, we're all coming to understanding that doctrine in our own, um, in our own like processing system. And for me, the way that I can best understand that is, can I just come back to that? Because awareness awareness is all that I need in order to slowly and steadily refine that. Wow. 
Um, I love that. I love the ship metaphor too, because it makes me think of Neptune and Pisces and just kind of like navigating energetics and that when we're speaking of the law of attraction, we're talking about something subtle. Like it's, it's something that you tap into with feeling. Um, I also think it's really cool that you took a few years to isolate and like get in touch with yourself. I feel like that's a, a big part of the creative process too, is gestation and, you know, having a project that you don't tell anyone about, or just having time to really develop your own voice or style without external influence. And then the reemergence process, like these are all cycles, but I think that it takes, um, like you have to be with yourself and like know thyself to know that you're having a season where you just need to be alone and to actually listen to that knowledge. And I'm sure that had you just ignored that and been out in the world that you would have been upset and you were in touch with yourself to know that you had something else to do. Um, what was that like when things started to shift and you were like coming back into the, the world more? The shift was instigated by me being publicly an astrologer online. I never hit it in real life, but I never felt called to make online a reflection of me as much as it was like every other Southern Houston girl, like we'll post our picture of us in Cabo. And like, it was just that kind of thing. And it was when I started really facing my own mortality because during my dark night of the soul, not only was I like energetically depleted, but my way of extended suicide of not knowing whether I wanted to live or not was intentionally getting to the point of starvation where I thought day to day I could decide if I wanted to live. And every day I was still eating like a normal amount, but I got down to that in case one day I was like, no, 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 this is it. So at that time, I was so facing my mortality, such a like Pluto on the ascendant thing as Saturn was also approaching and squaring my moon. And it was very like physical. Um, it was very much a physical and energetic um, purging time. And actually, no, I wasn't, I, I never like purged. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't my thing, but it was very much like a getting rid of thing time. And once I was down there, it was the biggest rude awakening I could have asked for and I'm very thankful for because there was nothing left for me to hide. And I'm so adept at putting on something entertaining or performative that sometimes unintentionally I can mold into the situation where I think I'll get the most applause instead of what's actually most in alignment. And so in realizing that I could be my whole witchy self without being attached to the sad girl 666 identity that I had is like an emo, um, you know, 17 year old. Once I was in that dark night of the soul in the beginning of my college experience, it was, I had nothing left to lose because I knew that the things that brought me light and made me want to stay, which were, I had a life-changing tarot reading a block away from where I live now at this witchcraft store called Enchantments in New York, where I was deciding whether I wanted to live or not. And I didn't tell her, I was just like the reading, I just want the reading. And the reading said specifically, write and get into your metaphysical career. And I immediately knew, okay, I have a book I'm sitting on. I don't know if I want to publish before I decide to die or after, but that kind of gave me the go ahead to put out the manuscript and also do my astrology. 
And in knowing I had nothing left to lose, that's when I started posting online about the transits. And a lot of people were like, who knew me from Houston, who knew that I did this, but didn't really take it seriously. They were just like, that's your hobby. It it was kind of weird for a lot of people to be like, what what are you talking about? Like, it was very, very, even though I wasn't getting bullied online, no one was like saying anything. I could feel that the inertia of like 18 years at that point was really getting compounded by new vibration. And that that friction was what catapulted me into now I always take opposite action when I feel that inertia of fear coming back up is like, I will do the most opposite things that now it's just a habit to be like, Oh, you feel like playing small We're we're going to, that's kind of how I started wearing red. Actually. I love the color red, but I always felt like it was, it was too out there. So when I started gently being like, then you're going to wear only red. That's where that started coming in. And now it's kind of like, it's just, it, it goes. So that my reemergence stemmed from having literally nothing left to lose. And in that loss of everything, I saw what I really had, which was my individual fractal of consciousness. And slowly like that fire began kindling so that I had only that to sit with. And I mean, it took years for that to build up enough to where it wasn't me scrambling to hopefully reach one person. I mean, like it was... As someone who who used to say that I was chronically suffering with secondhand embarrassment to where not only was I always humiliated, I found everyone else embarrassing. I thought everyone was, like, <laughs> I thought everyone was like dis, dis, disgusting. I thought everyone acted terribly. Someone would breathe and I'd be like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Like this is, I was so, so delicate that I had to throw like everything out and just be like all me. And that's how I got to where I am, where there is more momentum behind what I'm doing in terms of not only reaching people, but having something to say that is more valuable than what I was saying beforehand, because I'm in the vibration of adding value. It started all with like literally having nothing left to lose and being like, well, here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. So something that I really track and pick up from people who haven't come out yet on the internet, who as whatever they are whether they're into the occult, whether they're an astrologer, um, whether they're into Tantra, um, that sense of like feeling afraid to take the leap on the internet and just be who you really are. And I also like, I have a lot of experience with online spaces from a young age and also being anonymous online and like having a pen name, which I think was really good for my development because I got to experience community without feeling like my identity was on the line, you know, but when I got, um, after my own like spiritual awakening and dark night of the soul and being thought of as uh, mentally ill, I also felt like I had nothing left to lose. And there's a certain boldness that comes from that space. Um, and so I just started to share my voice and it's interesting. Like, I feel like it's actually a great blessing to have those bottoming out experiences and to, really get into that place of not having anything to lose. And at the same time, maybe there's some people listening to this episode who um, aren't in the midst of such a dramatic experience, but they still want to come out more into the world. And so I wonder what, like, and this, I'm just thinking out loud, but like the kind of personal death or ego death it is to start to be authentic online (laughs) 
when you're afraid, like people are going to judge you. If you have friends who think astrology is like, um, not a valid thing and they think of you as smart and you start talking about astrology, chances are if you hold your, like your foot down and you like believe in what you're saying that people are going to think differently about astrology. And they're also going to be kind of like their feathers are ruffled and they're like, Oh, maybe I could take a risk in life too. Like it is possible to approach the internet in a different way without having had the bottomed out experience, but both of us had that and it led us there. But yeah, yeah, I'm just, it's interesting to see the parallels um, in that part of our stories. I also wanted to come back to this concept of high level limiting beliefs. That was a really fascinating thing you brought up on your channel about how when people are even into the law of attraction, or maybe they have already deprogrammed some of their scarcity mindset, that there's this feeling that we can have like thriving success in one area of life, um, such as our relationships or our career, but we can't have it in another. Um, And I felt that that was like a really great message to hear. Um, So I'm just curious if you can speak more to what that is. Yeah, I don't know if the word is something that's already being used. I feel like I might have heard the word, but not in the way that I came up with the usage because I was realizing that having articulated my vibration really powerfully meant that when I fucked up, I knew it pretty like straight away. And when I was in alignment, the universe rewarded me pretty quickly. And still to this day, I feel like, um, all the facets that karma can be really immediate are very, I mean, just very within minutes, I will stub my toe or I'll, you know, get a new client or something like that, where it's pretty immediate. And I was noticing that once I stopped using the language of I am struggling with, or I am, you know, really working hard on this. And instead now I say I'm engaging with love on, and that's the mindset I take is just that I have to bring more awareness or information to this. It started to be that I was really, really thriving. And with that, I still felt like I was, I was, I think I was unknowingly glorifying the idea of being so successful that like, I don't even have time for relationships or so creative that, you know, I just have this, I I have a terrible sleep schedule. I can't, that's, I'm too good at this one thing to bother with that. And I think that that goes back to being afraid to be seen as someone who's taking up enough space to have all the things. That's not to say that if you literally don't want to split your focus, that you need to have all these things. Like I know for years, I haven't had any romantic relationships because that's not what feels in alignment with the way that I'm articulating my soul. However, if for some reason I were to either want that or to want, actually I was going to say want to travel, but I quite literally hate leaving my apartment and I don't like traveling. But if you want to do these things that ping some sort of, I can't balance that out. First of all, I, I, don't like the word balance really ever because I think that it's scarce. And I think that finding equanimity or equilibrium is, is a, because we don't have to be 50, 50 in things. Um, some things can be balanced, but the idea of balance, I don't think is a misnomer for like health. I think that 
if you feel a ping on something like I can't add this in or a voice comes up, that's like, you're already doing so much in this area. You can't have that. I think that is testing you on what you consider possible for your reality. Because at one point I didn't think that I could be so immersed in the school studies that I love and have a, and have a thriving astrology business. And up until recently, having um, a lot of fun as a yoga teacher. And now I'm simply doing like, I'm not going to be a jack of all trades. I'm going to be a master of like this. So I'm just doing astrology. But there is always space if your soul wants to give birth to something in your life. And a lot of us do deal with the thing of, you know, I really want the career. So I'm going to have to abandon this relationship or I want this relationship to work. And so I'm not going to take this promotion that would be beneficial for my career. Something along those lines where when you think of it, it always goes down to, I shouldn't take up space because that would be threatening. And I don't want to die because people not approving of me goes back to parents, not feeding you and I'm going to die. And almost everything stems back to that of like, people don't approve. Oh, the, at the time those were parents, I'm, I'm going to die. So it takes, it's, it, it doesn't have to be, but often we're at a place where it's much more difficult to realize that that's the thought process behind things because in our like logical small self mind, it's like, I don't have enough time for that. I don't have enough money for that. I don't have enough energy. When in reality, I just question everything that I am reasoning myself out of taking action around so that I take the action instead, kind of opposite action always. That's super inspiring. Um, I think that when I saw your video on that, I felt like it was reaching me at just the right time because I do feel like I'm a very optimistic and expansive person by nature, but I think that I can get bogged down with just simply feeling tired and mm-hmm. having the belief system that, oh, I don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. And that because I believe that not doing things that I could add, you know, so having more of the thought patterns and belief structures around like there's room for all of this. Right. Um, I recently just learned too about uh, the difference between visualization and visioning according to, I think Catherine Woodward Thomas is her name, where visualization is where you picture what's possible based on logic and visioning is where you just like put it out there and vision whatever, you know, your heart really desires. And I feel like that's a great way to get into a place of excitement. And you were speaking to um, excitement being like a really fertile place for creativity. And I really like that um, idea as well. And if there's just um, anything else to add about uh, excitement, like why is it important to follow one's excitement? What's the cosmological principle behind that? I think it's the most sustainable because it's a renewable resource in the way that if your job or vocation feels draining, often that's not sustainable in the way that either you're going to quit or the universe is going to conspire around your lack of resonance with that to make it so that eventually it falls through. At least for me, like I said, because I just operate in such a specific way, I kind of know immediately when like things are just not, not going to work out. And I, I, it's kind of impossible for me to like dip a toe in so that I, I can't really get into situations where my excitement doesn't fully push me into that fitting like Avenue. And it's simply the most sustainable and excitement doesn't have to be this scarily manic level. It can be just curiosity. It can be just 
flow. And that's how it is for me because I'm not someone who gets overly, I, I, I don't really have overly high highs or low lows. Like when someone asks if I'm excited for something, I'm pretty honest and I say, no, I'm not excited. I just feel in alignment with that. Or, you know, are you dreading this? I'm like, no, I just feel like we're going to, we're going to experience something here. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't operate in these, like, I, I just, I, I, maybe it's the Libra moon, like regulation always. I find that following what sparks me is just the most sustainable. And I mean, what happens to spark me can be more diligent and task oriented than other people. But I think that once we get honest about getting rid of the distractions or the noise that distract us from figuring out that we're supposed to be on sometimes a wildly different path and that's scary. And so we keep buying into the noise. We find that it's the most sustainable and excitement can be soft too. And that that's often the place that we operate at most of the time. And sometimes we have the really like hightailing it, but most of the time, you know, it's a little trickle. That's such a good way of putting it, that it's sustainable. Like you really do have to fight against the grain when you're not in alignment. And the idea of like, when you start to pay attention to your vibration, um, the universe also conspiring to let things fall through that aren't for you, I think maybe is part of why it appears like people's life is like hitting the fan when they're having a spiritual awakening because they start to get disillusioned about the things that they're grinding into. Yeah. Um, so what are, I think we spoke about it a little bit with like Leo and the sun, or I was mostly saying that, but what kind of, um, archetypes do you really like think of when you think about creativity and manifestation? I definitely think of our, in astrological archetypes, are you, are you, you can open it to anything if something else is coming to mind. Yeah. I'm notably someone who, even though I'm familiar with the different deities and whatnot, I don't do any, I'm not called to do any work with any Eastern deities or any um, um, like Celtic archetypes or whatnot. I really do think about the idea of the sun though, for creativity, because I don't see the sun as much as the personality in the chart, as I see it as what you are lighting up and illuminating kind of like this is a really, really weird way that I, I have weird metaphors, but in, I imagine it like in Mario Kart on the rainbow road, when they're in their carts, they're like lighting up and they're on the road. And I think that's kind of like the sun where that role that you're playing, that's taking you to lift off that you want to be seen for being and cloaked in that's the sun. And often the putting yourself out there to be involves creatively interacting with your environment to bring that to be because as much as I say, follow your excitement and find that ping. If there are like layers of rock on top of that, you can like, you might have to do some of the work to find the flow. I know for me, the recommendation to like reconnect to your inner child, I didn't really have that exist. So I don't, I can't think back to like, Oh, I liked to play with these things because I just know that my mindset was on like, am I going to die in a drunk driving accident to school? Who do I need to lie to, to pick me up today? Like who can I, there was just no like play. 
So that idea of like finding the, what you were, didn't really speak to me. What did was like a lot of trial and error of trying on different things. Maybe it's Neptune on the ascendant. I can be whoever you want me to be. I don't know who I am, but I can be that. I had to spend a lot of time alone, like I was saying, so that I wasn't tainted by a lot of the rock that had built up. So that even as I found a source like within, that source was really, really deteriorated. And I had to cultivate that through always showing up for myself in the weird ways that my excitement manifested. And it was through, it was, it was through practices that came back to me and not things that I thought were imposed on me that allowed me to actually cultivate that in a state of flow, which I think relates a lot to the sun because to be requires a certain amount of um, flowing effort, not work effort, but mindfulness to show up. And that's why some, I do think of the sun as creativity often in the chart as a, an indicator. I often don't say that though, because that can come across more effortful or more with a connotation of artwork where I think that anything that we're showing up as multiplying out into the world, that's creative. I love that. It's really cool to hear too, the, um, the process of uncovering that radiant essence within yourself, not as going back in time and finding it from the past or, but actually trying different things out to see what lit you up, which is such a good, um, of like law of attraction and follow, follow your highest excitement kind of teaching. And it does take experimentation. So that's really cool. I feel like a lot of, um, almost like regeneration as a theme came to mind, like, um, so you give astrology readings. You're also teaching an astrology course. Um, will you tell us about it and how people can find you? Yeah, I am teaching my Astrology Academy eight-week deep dive into the why behind the rationale of astrology because as someone who's really passionate in philosophy, I think that developing the mindset of reverence that makes sense for learning astrology is super important. So this eight-week course starts with the why and it gets into the what of the building blocks so that we do cover the basics, which I like to say don't get any more complicated. They just exponentially multiply on one another so that even the most advanced concepts have to go back to strengthening your base and then applying that into the how this comes into the chart so that as we all find the language, um, the language and what it is, we can then find our own spin on it so that this course is not just for people who might want to become a professional astrologer, but it's for anyone whose excitement leads them to astrology because that will lead you into using astrology and however it's meant to be used by you. Whether that is, I know some people incorporate it into their main path as a witch. Some people incorporate it into their artwork and knowing what energies to use. Some people use it in their like financial endeavors. And this course is like, I'm thinking of it as just a launch pad with as little slant as I can put on it and just providing the basics in a super deep dive because when our head is in the clouds in this material, it can get kind of easy to lose our footing and no longer be rooted in 
what the usefulness or the utility or the underlying principles are. And knowledge is not memorization of facts. It's understanding of principles. And so that's what I'm providing with my course. And they can find all the information on all my social media. So it's Marin Altman on everything. I'm really simple. My website's marinaltman.com. If you search me, you can find it. And it starts May 24th. So enrollment is currently wrapping up before that date. And if someone's interested, they can talk to me because I am meeting with everyone who's interested beforehand so that I can cater well to what each student wants. And I have an understanding of how I'm fine tuning the information. So if you're interested, give me a chat and all my socials have the info as well. That's amazing, Marin. Um, I feel like that, you know, the basics of astrology are... Um, as someone who like my own learning process with astrology was so nebulous and just like instinctual, I uh, find the basics actually the most difficult part to teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's a great service that you're offering as well. And I feel like your, um, your way of being really particular and intentional with language is something I really admire. And it also feels like a sign of a philosopher. Like mm -hmm. I know from like studying philosophy, like there's a great care in the definition of the words and setting up the precepts or the argument um, by being very clear. So that's super cool that you are on this track too with philosophy. Um, and I feel that essence coming through you very strongly. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Your energy is radiant and this was a really beautiful conversation. Thank you. for listening. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. I'm taking away a sense of appreciation for the trial and error process of experimenting with new things and discovering what it is that we like. And this was just having me think of the metaphor of the river that it's never the same river every time you step into it. Um, that there's a, a constant motion and flux to life and to the universe. And so as us being extensions or fractals of the universe, what's exciting or what's illuminating us creatively is always shifting. And I think that being flexible enough to play with those potentials is a valuable part of the creative process. So I think that this reminder that you can tap into something new or novel. It doesn't have to just be this innate kernel of something within you. And that's also a beautiful image, but sometimes that's what you know is empowering to hear. And other times it's thinking, there's so many possibilities out there. Let's just try some things and see what sticks, what feels right, what's exciting. And I think that the more that we practice that calibration of feeling into what's exciting, then the more exciting life becomes because we're a more sensitive instrument to excitement and therefore we pick up its frequency more and more easily. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I would love to hear what you have to say about it. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, 
rate and review. And if you take a screenshot before you click submit and email it to me over at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email and I'll send you a free gift that I'm working on for podcast reviewers and send that to you when it's ready. I'm still working on it. I promise you it's close. And I know I keep saying that every week. The reality is just that, um, I'm kind of like in these long work days. I kind of, I wake up and I work until I'm tired. So I'm doing a lot of stuff. I have a lot of projects going, but I promise I will get to this. And if you want to review the podcast in the meantime, it's really helpful for the algorithm, brings more people to the show and signal boosts these ideas that if you've noticed that they've had a positive impact on your life, um, rating and reviewing this podcast is a way to give back and also a way to further these messages into our online internet community. So have a beautiful day and I will catch you with the next episode.